Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After more than a century in business, discount chain Army and Navy has announced it's shutting all five of its stores permanently. Julia Foy has more on what pushed the store over the edge. It was just over a year ago that an enthusiastic Jackie Cohen celebrated with staff and the public 100 years in business at her flagship Army and Navy store in Vancouver. Whose idea was it? Oh, it was Grandpa Sam's. All All the good ideas were Grandpa Sam's. But the end is suddenly here. In a news release, Cohen says... After an incredible 101 years, we've made the difficult decision to permanently close Army and Navy. In March, we were forced to shutter all five of our stores and temporarily lay off our staff. We had hoped to reopen, but the economic challenges of COVID-19 have proven insurmountable. It's a sad day because of the, uh, I guess, iconic nature of a store like Army and Navy in the communities it operates in and as part of that community history and uh, it will be missed. Retail is a much more complicated, tougher business today than it was 10, 20 years ago, let alone 50 or 100. The Christian Labour Association of Canada, which represents 83 workers at the Army and Navy stores in Vancouver and New Westminster, did not see this coming. We had just recently ratified a new collective agreement. Uh, there were some, some good increases in there. I know there were some renovations going on in the, in, in the stores. There was you know, all the all the signs and all the indications were that uh, the business was was viable, and uh, and there was no concern of uh, you know of, of news like this, um, and so that that makes it all that much more shocking. Close friend Anna Walner, who sits on the board of Cohen's charity Face the World, was shocked over the news. I spoke to her about it. She said, "I'm fine. I'm I'm ready. This is the right thing to be doing." And and I and of course I know she means that. Um, but I mean, it's been over a hundred years, um, and this is a part of their family legacy. And, and so I, I'm sure it wasn't a decision that was, was made easily or lightly. Business in Vancouver published an article on May 3rd, which has Cohen expressing optimism that with BC parks opening up soon, sales of camping and outdoor gear will follow. But she admitted that other retailers will also be offering deep discounts but no one's stepping up yet to replace the Army and Navy's famous shoe sales. Julia Foy, Global News. Today's provincial COVID-19 numbers are encouraging. There have just been 15 new cases in the last 24 hours for a total of just over 2,300. Sadly, though, two more people have died, both in long-term care. 129 people in B.C. have now died from the virus. There are 69 people in hospital. That's down four from yesterday. 21 are in the ICU. And there has been a big jump in the number of people recovered, another 80 for a total of 1,659 known cases. Dr. Bonnie Henry reminding us all today to stay the course. Right now, as I have said a number of times, we're still at 
the end of the first phase of this pandemic. We are not yet ready to move into phase two. We are still in phase one, which means we must all continue to do what we have been doing that has been so successful here. And that means keeping up our physical distancing, something that's not exactly easy to do at a crowded beach on a sunny afternoon. As Nadia Stewart reports, while most are behaving responsibly, some are acting like there are no rules. All across the Lower Mainland, people are taking advantage of the warmer weather as restrictions begin to lift. In Coquitlam, the city is trying to encourage people to change their behavior. Getting used to physical distancing could mean moving from the usual hotspots to some of the lesser used parks. Educating people on what the other options are. In Coquitlam, we're so blessed with so many natural areas and so many really great parks. But as you can see, this one is not being used. And on the other side of the city, they're jam-packed. According to a recent poll by Insights West, most British Columbians are on board with the province's plan to gradually reopen. 79% support this week's announcement by the Premier, and over 70% of respondents said they'd visit a provincial park or play outdoor sports. But when does it become too much? This was Kitsilano Beach on Saturday afternoon, raising questions about whether people were truly following the rules. We have to just remember that the majority are doing it right. They may be in a group, but they're sitting apart from each other. And that's the key. Absolutely. Go outside, but don't congregate. Maintain those distances. And I think what we see is a visible minority of people, but because they're outside, we do see them. Some had to be reminded by police and conservation officers in Squamish who tweeted a warning about provincial parks. Technically, they're still closed. We need to remind people that we're not yet safe from this virus and that we're going to have to do things that are different to protect all of us. If people aren't respecting the spaces and respecting physical distancing, we'll look at what we have to do. In Coquitlam, they're keeping an eye on foot traffic in the parks, hoping they won't have to bring in any new restrictions and people will do the right thing. Adios to Global News. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, this is going to be an increasing challenge as we head towards summer. It certainly is. And I think uh, Kitts Beach is going to probably be like that for, for quite a while, unless uh, officials take measures down the road uh, to curb that type of behavior. Dr. Bonnie Henry today saying that she's going to be monitoring the cases. And if she sees cases suddenly break out in ter terms of being unrelated to other uh, cases, like we're seeing now at Mission Prison or poultry processing plants, she may restrict measures. So that beach is, uh, if people behave like that throughout the summer, they may not have an opportunity to congregate there if the beach beaches become closed. But we're not there yet. Today, Colleen, I want to point out we've hit a bit of a milestone in our numbers uh, overnight, and that's in terms of uh, active cases. It's this biggest one-day drop in active cases since the pandemic began. And those numbers you see, 542 is the active number today, the people who are currently sick with the virus, and 609 was the number yesterday. The reason for that, we had that big uptick in recoveries, and we had a relatively over, a small overnight case. So this is very encouraging that now the recovery numbers seem to be going down. Now, on another topic, one of the ones I get emailed probably the most right now about, particularly with Mother's Day approaching, is people cannot get into long-term care homes to visit their loved ones. And that's been the case since, for pretty well since day one. So it's been a couple of months for so many people in long-term care homes and not being able to have any contact whatsoever with family. I've gotten emails from an 89-year-old woman who can't get in to see her 91-year-old husband and who's near the end of life. So it's a very challenging situation. Dr. Bonnie Henry addressing it today, but saying because so many people in those long-term care homes 
are so vulnerable. 80% of the deaths in Canada have been in long-term care homes. Uh, she's looking at, at answering this challenge, but it's not going to be changed anytime soon. And even though it's our, our one person, our family member who's in there, what we do can affect everybody else in that group. So we have to take extra precautions for people in, in our long-term care homes, unfortunately. Um, and there's no, that is not going to change in the near future. Now, one thing I can tell you is that what is being looked at, particularly as we get through the summer and it's good weather, is potential outdoor visits on a very limited basis. We're not there yet, though. It's going to be a challenge to uh, address that kind of policy because, again, the people in those long-term care homes are the most vulnerable to the worst outcome of this virus. And we've seen that right across Canada and here in B.C. A reminder, no briefing from Dr. Bonnie Henry tomorrow. We'll be back at it on Monday afternoon. All right. See you then. Thanks, Keith. For the second time in less than 48 hours, North Shore Rescue has been called to rescue a hiker in need, saving a man lost in Lynn Headwaters Regional Park. The man says he was on the Lynn Loop Trail when he suddenly went off trail and found himself in very steep terrain. A park ranger who was also in the area helped in the rescue. Rescue crews say he didn't seem to know the area well or know how to get back. Not real well prepared. Um he didn't seem to know the area well at all. He, um, the area he originally described to us where he is was not anywhere near where he was. Um, he was in runners and shorts and not real well prepared, nor did he seem to know the area very well. The province ordered it two weeks ago, and today the clearing out of Vancouver's troubled Oppenheimer Park was completed by the noon deadline. Temporary housing has been found for the more than 250 residents, and the park is now fenced. But as Paul Johnson reports, it's hard to say what will happen when the fence comes down. Heavy machinery and workers wrangling fencing was the signal that the controversial homeless encampment in Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park is no more. Mostly I, I'm very happy for the 265 or so people who have moved from this site to a better place, to better housing. Calls to clear the camp had been made for months, with City Hall and the police saying it was unsafe. But activists and the park board arguing it was inhumane to move people out without a plan to house them in a way that respected their needs. COVID-19 changed all that. The park residents were moved recently to temporary housing, whether they wanted to go or not. So here's the next step here in Oppenheimer Park. Once they've got their new fence configuration sorted out, what they'll be doing is bringing in the fire department to go through everything that's been left behind, make sure there's nothing flammable, nothing explosive, no sharps, knives or weapons. Then they'll finally come in and do the final clear out of everything that's been left here. And the safety aspect can't be overstated. The most recent haul of dangerous things found there includes a shotgun, a crossbow, various knives and clubs, and a boa constrictor. Well, you don't typically see ceremonies associated with the clearing of homeless camps. Oppenheimer was a sensitive place for people of First Nations descent. Many see an historical through line that connects the destruction of their societies across Canada to their overrepresentation among the people who lived here and struggled with addiction and mental health problems. I lost my dad down here. Melanie Mark is BC's Minister of Advanced Education. She grew up in the downtown east side and represents it today in the legislature. It is not an accident. 
that this park happened. It is not by mistake that we are referring to Indigenous people time and time again. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Delta police say male theft has almost quadrupled year over year as criminals capitalize on parcel deliveries and emergency benefit checks during these days. The department saw a 283% spike in stolen mail this past March and April with 23 incidents compared to just six in the same two months last year. Apartment mailboxes are being targeted with North Delta getting hit the hardest. Officers are concerned the trend will increase with more contactless deliveries being left on doorsteps. Wearing a mask to get groceries is likely just the first change to new in-store shopping experiences. Clothing retailers face another set of challenges to make sure their customers and staff feel safe. As Kristen Robinson reports, be prepared for a new fitting room experiences and quarantines on returns and exchanges. Sharon Hales and her husband rolling out the new reality in retail apparel. It's going to look very different. Closed since mid-March, the South Granville lingerie store will be fully sanitized before any stock is re-racked ahead of a planned June 1st reopening. We sort of had to do a very abrupt halt. Um, so it's, and I think there's going to be some fear in the, in the community uh, with coming in. And because we are a lingerie store, it's a little more intimate. Her biggest challenge, getting customers back amid strict social distancing, constant cleansing, point of purchase plexiglass and mandatory masks. We're going to try and make it as normal as we possibly can, but we have to limit the number of people that will be in the store. Between customers, they'll have to do a clean of the high touch points, things like the door handles. Hale's six fitting rooms will be rotated with regular sanitization, but only three will be open at any given time. And like Nordstrom and other department stores, any tried on or returned items will be held before going back on racks. Because we have a web business, um, we've actually been quarantining our returns already. So we've been quarantining them for about three days before we open them and get them back into inventory. The change is a necessary burden for small businesses, which according to the Retail Council of Canada, have lost a season and are now likely facing two years of lower sales. So it's going to be hard for them to survive that uh, t- the coming two years. The biggest thing for us is we're not going to rush this. That message is clear even before the doors open again. Kristen Robinson, Global News. One Metro Vancouverite is being very direct about the reasons for offloading their leased luxury ride. In an ad on Craigslist, a lease takeover for this 2017 Jaguar F-Pace SUV. The poster from Langley cites COVID-19 downsizing as the reason for the sale. The Jag has 25,000 K on it and no crashes. Whoever buys it will have to make eight more payments on the $1,244 a month lease. Since the pandemic began, many leaseholders have been offloading their high-priced cars. Not your typical delivery. The Granville Street Bridge was closed for a construction operation earlier today. An unusual sight for many as a helicopter raised a large crate of glass to a Vancouver penthouse. The helicopter landed on a barge between Granville Island and Vancouver House before flying over the bridge, picking up the glass and carefully placing it atop the building.
We have an update on a BC Second World War veteran walking laps for charity. He has now surpassed his fundraising target. 101-year-old John Hillman of Oak Bay was walking 101 laps for $101,000. And in just five days... He's topped his fundraising goal. The former Royal Canadian Air Force member was inspired by 100-year-old fellow veteran Colonel Tom Moore of the UK, who has raised more than $52 million Canadian for Britain's National Health Service by walking laps in his garden. Both men are bearers of the Burma Star. Hillman has been walking for Save the Children Canada. We salute you, Mr. Hillman. A Toronto woman and her daughter surprised onlookers last night by handing out free homemade masks while dressed as dinosaurs. Nina and Demi Anatokis walked around their neighborhood and downtown handing out masks during the nightly cheer to healthcare workers in the hopes of lifting people's spirits. Nationwide, we now have almost 67,000 confirmed COVID-19 cases with 4,700 deaths. There is an outbreak of COVID-19 at Canada Post's main sorting facility in Calgary. Six people who work there have tested positive. Canada Post says none of the employees showed symptoms while at work. The company says the cases occurred at separate times over a three-week period dating back to April 20th. Alberta Health Services believes the cases are unrelated and that they are, were exposed to the virus outside of the workplace. The U.S. lost 20.5 million jobs in April, the highest drop in employment in the country's history. Economists predict some temporary layoffs will end up being permanent. Global's Jennifer Johnson has more. Economists say America's already bleak unemployment numbers could get even worse. While April's jobless rate was the highest in history, experts say May's unemployment level could climb even higher, hitting 20%. May's going to be another tough month. These are numbers that are full of hardship and heartbreak. A report from Main Street America, a group that represents 300,000 small businesses, predicts the pandemic will force 7.5 million small businesses to close for good. A University of Chicago study shows 42% of those temporarily laid off will never get their jobs back. There's no way that many of these that are hardest hit in the food services industry, leisure and hospitality are going to be able to come back to the level of activity that they did prior to the crisis. Unemployment is now at 14.7%. In February, it was 3.5%. Even as states and businesses reopen, the future is filled with uncertainty for millions of workers. I'm basically at my breaking point, um, worried, nervous, scared. It won't go back to business as usual for some big corporations too. Some manufacturers may use robots instead of people, as social distancing rules make assembly lines less efficient. I really think that we're entering a new age when the ideas that maybe worked well in the 20th century are not going to be viable in a future where, where technology just becomes vastly more powerful. U.S. President Donald Trump is fighting to keep his job, too, up for re-election in November. For three years, he's taken credit for America's strong economy. Now all he can do is sound optimistic about it quickly bouncing back. It's going to be transition to greatness. But experts tell a different story. What we're going to see is the economy move in fits and starts and really struggle to recover. Many economists predict it will be several months, but more likely years, before America's economy will be nursed back to health. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. 
As Russia today marked 75 years since the Soviet victory over Nazi Germany in World War II, it is anything but a victory for the country's health care workers hit hard by the pandemic. They continue to treat COVID-19 patients in exhausting conditions. Doctors working at intensive care units wear several layers of protective equipment in order to avoid contamination. Reports of infected medical workers are emerging almost daily. Two weeks ago, more than 200 doctors in Moscow and St. Petersburg were reported to have the virus, with some turning to social media to make their plight known. That was followed by a rash of doctors seemingly falling from windows. Last week, a group of Russian doctors compiled an online list of 111 medical personnel who have died during the outbreak so far. Rome has introduced 150 kilometers of emergency bike lanes to give commuters the chance to travel safely by bike instead of public transit during the pandemic. The Italian capital was extending its cycling network at a very slow pace before the pandemic. The existing lanes often weren't connected, forcing cyclists to brave busy and dangerous roads. Rome's transport councillor expanded that the uh, explained rather that the new lanes will remain in place after the pandemic. After a partial reopening last week, only 15% of Roman commuters returned to public transit. China is celebrating the return of its space capsule to Earth. It successfully touched down on the landing site in North China's Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region. The retrieval team transported the capsule out of the desert. China launched a trial version of the new spaceship without a crew on Tuesday. The experimental spaceship flew in orbit for two days and 19 hours, during which it carried out a series of experiments. It is a story that has generated outrage around the world and now new developments in the case of an unarmed black man gunned down in the state of Georgia. Police are releasing newly surfaced surveillance video taken just before the shooting. Tonight, newly public video in the case of Ahmad Arbery. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation confirms it is reviewing this surveillance video obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution showing a person walking up to a house, entering, then leaving a short time later. That person believed to be Arbery, according to a statement from his family's attorneys, who write, this video is consistent with the evidence already known to us, noting that the house was empty, under construction, and Arbery engaged in no illegal activity. The GBI confirms that video was reviewed before the McMichaels were arrested. Arbery's death sparked nationwide protests. The 25-year-old seen running, out for a jog, his family says, unarmed. In the truck, Gregory and Travis McMichael, armed and pursuing Arbery because they thought he was a burglary suspect. In a police report, the senior McMichael said his son Travis shot in self-defense, saying Arbery began to violently attack. Arbery's mother has not watched that video made public this week. What was your reaction when you heard that the McMichaels had been arrested? Um, actually, I was in a numb state because I, I, I had waited for two months, two, two months and two weeks. William Ryan recorded the video of the shooting. His attorney, Kevin Goff. And was he with the McMichaels? Was he, he, was was trying, he driving after He was trying to him? get his picture. He was trying to get a picture of Mr. Arbery. Yeah. Why? Because there had been a number of crimes in the neighborhood. And he didn't recognize him, and a vehicle that he did recognize was, was following him. Goff says his client has fully cooperated and showed the video to local police when it happened back in February. But no arrests until the GBI got involved this week.
Now, the state attorney general is looking into how the case was handled. Two prosecutors recused themselves over conflicts of interest. One writing, he believed the McMichael's actions were perfectly legal. NBC was not able to locate an attorney for the McMichaels. Tonight on the streets of Brunswick, a deafening roar in honor of Arbery. Wish the world could have got a chance to know Ahmad, to really truly love Ahmad. Blaine Alexander, NBC News, Brunswick, Georgia. In Health Matters tonight, blood clots appear to be a serious symptom of COVID-19. So now, researchers at Mount Sinai in New York found that treating hospitalized COVID-19 patients with blood thinners may improve their survival rates, especially for those on ventilators. Doctors began the treatment after observing an increased amount of blood clots in some COVID patients. They plan to expand the study to include 5,000 test subjects. <laughs> oh my goodness, I feel bad for them because it was like summer here today. Yeah, and we had record-breaking heat, so oh. it was a drastically different for us. So we've got a similar weather picture for tomorrow for Mother's Day. I'll have that in just a moment. A quick glance outside, though, we do have a bit more cloud cover that's been rolling in through the day today. It'll clear up once again overnight, and then we're going to see a fair bit of sunshine through the day for Mother's Day. 19 right now, a northwesterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour. Here's a look at some of the numbers, and we, yes, we did have some record-breaking heat. Areas away from the water with the Humidex today. It was hot, 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 summer-like, feeling into the low 30s and many spots in the interior today and also seeing some record-breaking heat for the northern half of the province. So Squamish, a new record, 29.7, the old one back last year. Bella Coola, areas near Pitt Meadows, similar for Abbotsford, getting up to 28.6. Agassiz up to 28.3 with a new record. Victoria, that's the second day now, so two days of record-breaking heat. Squamish has also seen two Prince Rupert for the northern half of the province with the new record of 27, the old one, 23.9. That was back in 1946, and Masset included within that, bumping up to 23 degrees. Fantastic today. A couple of photos to share. This one was taken by Catherine in Revelstoke out on the water, and the blossoms and the nice foliage out there in Kamloops. So thank you so much, Lynn, for capturing that photo. This was early this morning. I had to share it. Taken in Tawasin, it was a sunrise, and that's a shot of looking at Mount Baker. So thank you so much. Scott. All right, here's what we're going to see overnight. So the clouds are going to clear. We'll dip down to 12 degrees. We've got a mainly sunny sky for Mother's Day. Temperatures are going to be hot once again, potentially record-breaking 23 degrees if you're closer to the water and then away from the water. It's going to feel closer to 30 degrees, so be prepared for the heat upper level forecast showing us that ridge. So one more strong day. That'll likely be the peak of the heat across Metro Vancouver. A bit of a change in transition will be on Monday and then we are looking at cooler temperatures and some showers pushing in on Tuesday. So the peak of the heat for tomorrow still very pleasant on Monday and then it'll be cooling off for those who are looking for a bit of a reprieve as we get in towards next week. Williams Lake a big concern. We're still seeing the flood watches that are in effect. High stream advisory so be prepared. Shushwap, Cash Creek, the Okanagan all included within that with the temperatures that are going to be warm over the next few days. The northern half of the province, another hot one for tomorrow along the coast with Prince Rupert bumping up to 23 degrees. It is a touch cooler for the northeastern corners with the peace climbing up to 11 degrees. Much of the central interior tomorrow, sunshine, and we'll see that for the southern half. Once again, the flood concerns, so do check in with the River Forecast Centre for the latest as we get into the next few days. But most areas will be into the low 20s as we look towards Worcester tomorrow 
and then pushing its way east into Hope, bumping up to 30 degrees. It'll be a few degrees cooler by the water for all areas along the south coast, but it is hot, hot, hot once again for Mother's Day. Areas away from the water tomorrow will feel closer to 30 degrees. For Mother's Day, we've got plenty of sunshine on deck. It's Monday, a bit of a change on the way. We are going to see some cloud cover and then approaching the evening on Monday. That's we'll likely see a few showers popping up. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and towards next week, it is going to be a touch cooler. So we've got a couple of more nice days, but tomorrow another hot one for Mother's Day. Colleen? And I know this isn't a popular sentiment, but I kind of like the rain, and I know we need it. (laughs) Yes, and it's good for physical distancing, too. It's good for physical distancing. (laughs) Thanks so much, Yvonne. In the global fight to find a vaccine against COVID-19, winter is coming. Winter the llama, that is. Scientists in Belgium say winter and llamas like her could hold the key to conquering the pandemic. The gist of this joint U.S.-Belgian study is that winter the llama is able to produce antibodies that can effectively stop the COVID-19 virus from attaching to a cell. Now, why llamas? Scientists have long looked to llamas for antibody research. Llamas produce two types of antibodies. One is very similar to that produced by human beings, and another is much smaller. Now, it is this smaller version that is able to get into the crevices and prevent the corona or the crown of the COVID-19 virus from attaching to a cell. And also, the scientists tell me that it is easier to manipulate in the lab. They're thinking of using this, if effective, and making antiviral drugs that could last in the human body for up to two months. One of the scientists who involved in this study says as far as winter the llama is concerned she's got a lot more to offer for us she is a superhero maybe we can find even better nanobodies so that's what we're doing now we're looking uh, to her blood cells to see whether we can find some additional nanobodies that might be more suited or be even more potent than the one that we have now What's interesting about this is that they've studied these antibodies in the context of SARS of 2003 and the MERS virus. So the fact that these can be manipulated to be effective against future mutations of coronaviruses, for example, is really promising. Now, one thing I've learned is that sharks also produce similar antibodies, but they're a lot more difficult to work with, a lot less friendly. So for now, winter the llama is their best hope. It appears the old adage, necessity is the mother of invention, or in this case, reinvention, is true. Since we can't go to movie theaters right now, an old-fashioned way of watching movies together is making a comeback. The drive-in, and people in Tucson, Arizona, are grateful. That buttery popcorn smell. People settled in their cars or camped out in lawn chairs showtime and what better place to watch a movie on car racing than at a racetrack for many this brings back memories we would always go to the uh, De Anza theater and then we would take like we're doing right now we take pizza and sodas and we'd t- put a mattress in the back of our truck and for jeff epley a pretty classic guy himself no stranger to drive-ins we brought our own speaker <laughs> it's a chance to bring the good old days to his grandkids yes Out here, you're not stuck at home. You're out in the atmosphere. A somewhat different atmosphere than the one Epley's used to, though. Unlike Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder, these drivers are not wandering all over the track. They were guided by traffic control crews to make sure they were parked 8 to 10 feet apart. Outside their vehicles, many opted to wear face masks. You paying for it, though? And several hand-washing stations were set up. Still, with movie theaters closed... Uh, A lot of the drive-ins around the country are making a huge comeback people need entertainment we need this to get out a little something and you know and we're away from each other and i think at this time right now this is great
Little Richard, a founding father of rock and roll, has died. My friends thought I was crazy. Little Richard burst onto the music scene in the 1950s with his wild vocals and piano-pounding performances. He helped shatter the color line in the music charts, bringing what was once called race music into the mainstream. He influenced musicians from Beatles to Prince. His bassist, Charles Glenn, said Little Richard had been sick for the last few months and that he died at his home in Tennessee, surrounded by his family. His attorney says he died from bone cancer. Little Richard was 87 years old. Well, before there was the Tiger King, Siegfried and Roy were the top big cat acts in the kingdom. Today, the entertainment world is mourning one half of that dynamic duo. Roy Horn died yesterday from complications related to COVID-19. Horn and longtime partner Siegfried Fischbacher were renowned for incorporating white tigers and other large cats into their Vegas magic act. And they got their start on cruise ships and later became one of the longest running acts on the Vegas Strip. Roy Horn was 75. Barry's here with a look at sports, and I know you're going to be talking about Travis Lule in a mm-hmm. moment, but can I tell you a quick story? Yes. Um, I met Travis at the Toronto airport one year, and you know when you meet celebrities, you just never know? He is as nice as he appears in yep. his interviews. Yeah, he's probably one of my favorite lions to deal with uh, over the years, and yeah, exactly, as genuine as they come as far as uh, pro athletes go. All right. Thanks for that, Colleen. Uh, Well, for the first time in eight weeks, there actually is a live sporting event taking place in North America. Sorry, WWE, Chanel, you you can't count wrestling. It is UFC 249 in Jacksonville, Florida. No fans in the stadium. And earlier in the day, there was a positive COVID-19 test from fighter Ronaldo Souza. His match against Uriah Hall was immediately canceled. But the rest of the show is going ahead. Here is some of the action from the preliminary fights. We will spare you some of the violence here on the news hour, but you get the idea. UFC back in business in America. Preliminary card just wrapping up right now. No Canadian fighters in any of the 11 fights tonight. The main event is still a couple of hours away. Lightweights Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. That fight expected to have some fireworks. We'll have highlights of that one tonight at 11. Now, other sports are following suit. NASCAR begins racing next Sunday. The PGA Tour will begin its season in June. And now there's a report Major League Baseball is looking to start in early July in either Major League stadiums or, if not, at a team's spring training facility. The schedule would be for 78 to 82 games. Teams would play in their own geographic area. Playoffs would be expanded from seven teams per league instead of five. The other day we broke you the news of Travis Lule's departure from the Lions organization. Lule heading home to the uh, family financial business in Oregon. The move was always in the plans to allow Travis's daughters to grow up alongside their grandparents and cousins. Lule played all 10 of his CFL seasons with the Lions, which is pretty rare in a league where players change teams constantly. And because of that, Travis was a big fan favorite. I'm really grateful that uh, that I was embraced by Vancouver. Uh, um, I think, you know, I think I made a couple choices uh, throughout my career when, you know, when times changed or my status changed with the club after injuries and, and I chose to remain in the city. I, I, I think, you know, that is generally viewed favorably. A lot of times there's a lot of movement. Um, 
you know, players chasing things. I just appreciated the opportunity to be in Vancouver, be on the West Coast, so I stayed. So the fact that I played my entire career only in one color, I mean, you, there's no image of me anywhere wearing green or blue or anything but but orange, right? So I think that uh, that says a little something. Um, you know, and so I, I just consider myself fortunate to have been in Vancouver. And the, and the other part of it, you know, Alliance fans saw me grow up from from a, a rookie backup to becoming a starter to being a championship quarterback and then dealing with injuries. I think people kind of rode rode through that with me. And so I always felt the support. Um, whether we were winning, losing, or coming back from injury, I felt like I had, um, you know, the lower main line in my corner. So I think that just resonates. And as we mentioned, all the all of one of the all-time great guys as far as Vancouver athletes. So at this time last week, we were thinking we might see an abbreviated CFL season. We're not so sure anymore. Not after CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi appeared before Parliament earlier this week and said canceling the season is very likely. He also told the government the league annually loses uh, somewhere between 10 and $20 million a year. Not having a CFL season would be devastating. Former BC Lion and current Saskatchewan Rough Rider Solomon Elamimian is the CFL Players Association president. Like everyone else, he's been trying to stay grounded, but it's not easy when you may not be earning a paycheck all year. Yeah, you have to. You have to kind of, you know, kind of reset. And that's what I've been really focused on is resetting and Obviously, the financial implications of not having a football season is very real to myself and also to our players. Um, it's it's a tough time for us. It's tough times for you know a lot of people in the world because there's a lot of uncertainty out there. You know the fact that nobody understands with this COVID where it's going to go. I mean, just trying to navigate the best path forward, um, not just for the players, but for also the CFL because you know the CFL is a very iconic. Uh, sports uh, brand in this country and for you know thousands of uh, our members and the people infected in our industry it's vital to how they take care of their families game time show time five six all day baby you know what i feel like a lot of people have a misconception of how much cfl players make you know and you know it's average on around eighty thousand dollars so i think you know our voices need to be heard and you know so many people in infected in our industry, whether you work tickets, concessions, you know, clean the stadiums, um, you know, hotels, you know, you know, cab drivers, all these things have huge implications uh, to not having a potential CFL season or having CFL. Okay, it is time for our nightly thanks to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we are honoring Heidi. Heidi is an operating room nurse at Caribou Memorial Hospital in Williams Lake. She has been on the front line since the outbreak of COVID-19 and was redeployed when elective surgeries were cancelled. She has worked in the medical surgical unit at CMH and more recently she has been working long hours in the COVID unit and emergency. So thank you Heidi and your team in Williams Lake. If you have a healthcare hero you would like to nominate, please email us at bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and please include a photo, description, a story of your healthcare hero. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, on this Mother's Day weekend, we leave you tonight with the story of two adorable lambs rejected by their own mothers but now getting a second chance thanks to a human mom. Lincoln and Lola are almost eight weeks old. They were born just days apart at separate farms, but Lola is much smaller. They figure she has dwarfism. 
After learning they'd been rejected, Diane Marsh stepped in to help. She runs the Happy Herd Farm Sanctuary in Aldergrove. The lambs are living happily with April, a young turkey found wandering a blueberry farm a couple of weeks ago. We became a registered charity almost two years ago. So we take in abused, abandoned farm animals, at-risk farm animals, and we have cows, pigs, chickens, turkeys, goats, sheep, <laughs> a donkey. <laughs> and uh, we are run entirely by volunteers and donations. Oh, but because the farm is close to the public right now, donations are slow to come in. So if you would like to help, you can go to their website, happyherd.org. Oh, they even have a sweet pig too.